Hello and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 78. Thanks for listening. Hello everybody, that was actually take two of the introduction to today's episode. The first time I started the uh, recording, I did the opening as if I were recording. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, and I called you all fellow blockheads. Uh, That's what happens when you record two podcasts in the same weekend. But this, of course, is Atari Bytes. We talk about Atari here. Although if anyone wants to write in or send me some feedback about Snoopy and Charlie Brown, I'll be happy to listen to it. But for right now, let's talk about Atari. Let's see what's in the news. The Centipede comic. As I record this, it's mid-July. The first issue of the new Centipede comic is out. I've read it. It's really cool looking. If you're concerned, it is not picking up the story, at least so far, of the DC Centipede pack-in comic from the 80s with Lil Oliver and wizards and fairies and mushrooms and whatnot. Although, uh, without saying too much about issue one, mushrooms do come into play, I guess. They're doing a very different thing with this comic. Don't want to say too much. It's kind of a revenge story, actually, but it's very cool looking. Stay tuned, by the way, in the next couple of weeks for more Centipede-related material on the podcast. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that for now. Sword Quest is out, too. Don't forget that. Make sure you pick up uh, the new Sword Quest comic. I talked to Chris Sims and Chad Bowers um, in May, I guess, about that comic. Uh, check out that episode of the podcast. Check out that comic. It is good stuff. I am majorly pumped that it's not just me anymore, because uh, I'm going to claim that I started this trend. It's not just me who is sort of taking up the mantle of expanding the Atari universe to look at the stories within these games. Hey, I wonder if Dynamite Entertainment owes me some money for using this idea to make comics. I'll have to talk to my lawyer. Hmm. Anyway, what else is going on? We heard from Ferg. I heard from Ferg on the the old Facebook machine. Uh, Hi, Ferg. Ferg, of course, is the host of the legendary Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. He picked up on something I said in the Spider-Man episode, and here's what he said. Um, Hi, Bill. Great Spider-Man episode, especially the Electric Company theme. Thanks for that, Ferg. Appreciate it. Ferg goes on to say, yes, there are some games that use the right joystick for player one. A few early Atari games and maybe one or two third-party games. I know I covered them, meaning Ferg, but damn if I can remember. And that's kind of my sense too, Ferg. I think there are some out there. I even kind of feel like maybe I've done one on the podcast. But, like I said in the Spider-Man episode, I think what I'm thinking of is maybe Star Raiders, where you plug the touchpad into the left uh, port and the uh, joystick into the right port. So I'm still on a quest to find out some specific games that only use, you know, player one for no particular reason uh, is is plugged into the uh, the right-handed port. The search continues, I guess. So thanks for the feedback, Ferg. I appreciate it. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, man. It is really hard for me to focus uh, this morning as I record. It's Sunday morning, July... the hell is it? July 16th. We are within maybe an hour of... Yeah, maybe two hours of finding out who the 13th Doctor on Doctor Who is going to be. Uh, over the weekend, the BBC announced that at the end of the Wimbledon Men's Finals Championship Festival hoopla, whatever, today... I don't really follow tennis. At the end of that, they're going to have a live announcement on BBC One 
of who the new doctor is going to be. Peter Capaldi, of course, is leaving. I've been moaning about that for a while and making you listen to it before I actually start talking about Atari games. Uh, several weeks now. Uh, the Christmas Day, there will be the, the traditional Doctor Who special, and at the end of that, Capaldi will regenerate into the new actor or actress who is going to play the Doctor. And there's, as always when this happens, um, it's happened a dozen times before, there is rampant speculation about who that's going to be, and today we're going to find out. So I've been trying to figure out, because I don't have ESPN, so I can't watch the Wimbledon Finals, not that I care much about that, but it really doesn't matter anyway because they're probably on a different schedule than BBC One is. And of course, I'm in North America, so you got the time change, and I'm trying to figure out, well, is BBC America going to run the announcement live? Because I can't get a clear answer from anybody on the internet about that. I am very frustrated. So I got to hurry up and finish this recording about one pop culture thing so that I can go immerse myself in another pop culture thing because I'm just that nerdy. Hey, future Bill here. Shortly after I finished recording the episode this morning, the announcement came down about who the new 13th Doctor is. And we know now that it is Jodie Whittaker, 34, I think, year old actress, best known at least to me for being on the show Broadchurch, which of course is the show that Chris Chibnall runs. And he's the new showrunner for Doctor Who. Um, She co-stars opposite 10th Doctor, David Tennant. And from the reviews and so forth, it sounds like she's pretty excited to take the part. The announcement video was cool. I was kind of hoping for a big spectacle introduction show like they did with Capaldi when he got the part, but that was the 50th anniversary year of Doctor Who, and they were spending more money on that kind of stuff, frankly. But I thought the little, uh, very short, maybe a minute or so, video showing her in character was uh, fitting and sort of mysterious, and kind of whet the appetite for who this doctor might be. Not to mention the fact that they kind of laid weeds, you know, kind of put us off the scent that it might be a woman. Chibnall had been saying all along that, well, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a man or a woman, probably not a woman. Um, You know, time might not be right, and you want to just find the right person and so forth. And now, now that the announcement's out, he's like, no, it's going to be a woman the whole time. So that's cool. They kind of missed, let us uh, kind of fool us there. I think she'll be good. I'm excited to know. And of course, now, as much as I hate to see Capaldi go, I'm excited for the future of Doctor Who. So anyway, I just wanted to put that in for any of you out there who actually are into this information. If not, sorry to have bored you. All right, back to the Atari stuff. Okay, so with that in mind, without further ado, let's move on to this week's game. This week's game is... Everyone's counting on me. If I can't stop them, who will? Introducing Battlezone, the arcade hit that's now an exciting new home game from Atari. The joystick puts you in control of your own tank. The radar screen helps you seek out the enemy. The action's so real, you just might forget it's a game. Battle Zone, only 
from Atari. To entertain, to educate, to simplify. Game Objective. The year is 1999. Oh, hey, great. We're going into the future for this one. Wait, it's 1999? That's, like, the past, man. Well, apparently I missed the news of this because, according to what I, this official document I'm reading right here, in 1999, the nations of the Earth, not Earth, capitalized E, Earth, it's the Earth, lowercase, have declared a worldwide peace plan. But there's a problem with the proposed truce. A council of military commanders has unleashed battalions of automated weapons into the countryside. These aerial fighters, flying saucers, tanks, and super tanks will turn the world into a lifeless landscape unless you can stop them. You know, this kind of... 1980. Drones weren't really a thing then. Drones are a big deal now. I wonder if they're kind of inadvertently predicting drones. They're going a little further. They're saying, you know, super tanks and flying saucers and whatnot. But it does sort of harken, you know, back to the... uh, but from the future, uh, I'm getting all timey here, timey-wimey. It does sort of uh, predict uh, the drones thing that we got going on now. So that's kind of interesting. I hadn't really thought about that until this moment. These aerial fighters, flying saucers, tanks, and super tanks will turn the world into a lifeless landscape unless you can stop them. I might have said that already, but it's important to repeat. Luckily, you've discovered an old military tank hidden inside the museum, as opposed to an old carnival tank. Grocery shopping tank? I don't know. Are there any tanks that aren't military tanks? Anyway, use your joystick to steer the tank as you search for enemy automatons. Since your electronic periscope only gives you a front view from the tank, you'll have to rely heavily on your radar screen to detect the enemy. I think that's their way of saying that the computer uh, program isn't sophisticated enough that you can turn around in your tank. You can only go forward, man. Look to the future and only go forward. If you learn two things today, make it those two things. Actually, you could throw one of those out and make one of the things who the 13th Doctor is. That's good to know, too. If you see a blip on the radar, you need to move fast. Use your joystick to turn your tank until the enemy appears on the screen. Press the red controller button to fire your turret gun. Gameplay. You have five tanks to complete your mission. Your tank will be destroyed each time it is hit by enemy fire. The enemies you'll encounter are tanks, which are your most common enemy. They need to move a bit slower than your tank, which, by the way, moves pretty damn slow, and can be identified by their blue turrets. Super tanks. These tanks look like regular tanks, but have yellow turrets and to move faster than your tank. Fighters. Fighters always appear directly in front of you, then zigzag toward your tank. When a fighter reaches point-blank range, it will veer to the side and fire an anti-tank shell directly at you. You can identify a fighter by the buzz sound it makes as it flies. I saw the fighters when I was playing this a little bit for the field report. I didn't really notice a buzzing sound, I guess. I was too focused on not getting blown up. Flying saucers. Flying saucers do not fire at you, but are hard to hit and can distract you when a tank, a fighter, or a super tank is firing at you. Because humans are nothing if not distracted by shiny things. Using your radar screen. Your radar is located at the top center of the screen. Enemy automatons appear on the screen as white blips of light. Your tank is located in the middle of the radar circle. The two lines at the top of the radar screen indicate your field of view. When you move your tank so an enemy blip is between the lines, you should be able to see the enemy on the main screen. Be careful, though. An enemy can shoot and destroy your tank, even if you can't see it on the main screen. A black sighting mark is located at the top of the main screen to help you aim at the target. When the enemy is directly in your line of fire, the sighting mark will change from black to white. 
tank is worth 1,000 points, a fighter is 2,000 points, a super tank is 3,000, saucer is 5,000. You get a bonus tank at 50,000 and 100,000 points. A spoiler, in the field report, I did not get 50,000 points. Use your joystick to maneuver your tank. Plug the joystick firmly into the left controller jack to back your console. So, you know, for the record, this is not a game where you use the right jack on your console. The search continues. Push forward on your joystick to move your tank forward. Pull back on the joystick to move your tank backward. To rotate your tank in position, push the joystick directly right or left. Move the tank in an arc by pushing your joystick diagonally at the, in the desired direction. Fire your turret gun by pressing the red button on your controller. If you miss a target, you cannot fire again for approximately two seconds. Neener, neener, neener. Game one is novice level. I didn't really pay attention to the game levels when I did the field report. I was playing novice level, uh, which is embarrassing when you discover how long the field report lasts. But, you know, a little more practice and I'll get there. Game two is the intermediate level. Game three is the advanced level. Difficulty switches and TV type switch have no function in the game. Strategy. A good way to evade enemy shells is to rotate your tank 45 degrees, then immediately move the tank forward or backward. This is a challenge in practice, however. It really takes a while to get the timing down so that you can actually get an enemy in your sights, fire on it, but also stay out of the way so that you don't get blown up. Listen for the sound of an enemy gun being fired. As soon as you hear a shot, take evasive action. Do not simply rotate in the same spot. That's another piece of advice for you kids. Do not simply rotate in the same spot. Keep moving after you fire a shot. Don't wait to see if the shot hits its mark. If a tank is close behind, you can bring it within sight by moving your tank in reverse until the enemy tank appears on the screen. You'll be able to shoot as the enemy tank turns to face you. Try to lure one enemy into another enemy's line of fire. You know, I wasn't doing that on purpose when I was playing the fuel report, but a couple of times I did kind of out the corner of my eye think, wait, are those tanks firing on, e on each other? It says, for example... Here, by moving your tank to one side, you can move a flying saucer into a shot fired by an enemy tank. Don't waste shots, since you can't shoot your turret gun again until the shell either hits an enemy or disappears from your main screen. Oh, hey, by the way, Atari welcomes your comments. Please address all correspondence to Atari Inc. Customer Relations, 1312 Crossman Avenue, P.O. Box 61657, Sunnyvale, California, 94086. If anyone actually writes to them, let me know. If you get a response, definitely let me know that. Just tell them, yeah, I wrote this letter in 1980, but I couldn't find a stamp. So I just got around to mailing it. All right, that is how you play Battlezone. Battlezone was released in November 1980. The game uses wireframe vector graphics on a black and white with green and red sectioned color overlay vector monitor. It was designed primarily by Ed Rotberg, who designed many games for Atari Inc. and later Atari Games and Sente. Uh, the other designers were Owen Rubin and Roger Hector. Uh, it is come out on a number of platforms. The originally it was an arcade game, of course. Apple II, Atari 2600, Atari 8-bit, Atari ST, Commodore 64, IBM PC, uh, VIC-20, uh, XE Spectrum, Game Boy, and Lynx. Okay, and actually, the arcade game was November 1980. The Atari 2600 uh, port was 1983. Battlezone was housed in a standard upright arcade cabinet with a novel periscope viewfinder, which the player used to view the game. The game action could also be, be viewed from the sides of the viewfinder for spectators to watch. A later, less common version of the cabinet removed the periscope to improve visibility for, to non-players and improve ergonomics for players who could not reach the periscope. The controls consisted of left and right joysticks, which, which could only be moved in the Y vertical axis, each controlling the treads on that side of the player's tank. That seems kind of awkward. A version of the game called the Bradley Trainer, also known as Army Battlezone or Military Battlezone, was also designed for use by the U.S. Army as targeting training for, gamers, for gunners on the Bradley fighting vehicle. 
Approaching Atari in December 1980, some developers within Atari refused to work on the project because of its association with the Army. Most notably, original Battlezone programmer Ed Rotberg. Rotberg only joined after he was promised by management that he would never be asked to do anything with the military in the future. Only two were produced. One was delivered to the Army and is presumed lost, and the other is in the private collection of Scott Evans, who found it by a dumpster in the rear parking lot at Midway Dames. The gunner yoke was based on the Bradley fighting vehicle control and was later reused in the popular Star Wars game. The Bradley trainer differs dramatically from the original Batazone as it features helicopters, missiles, and machine guns. Um, They didn't include the flying saucers? Weird. What are we going to do when the aliens finally do invade? We're not going to be trained for it. Letting down our military once again. Uh, Furthermore, in the Bradley trainer, the actual tank does not move. The guns simply rotate. Battlezone was well-received, earning an honorable mention for Best Commercial Arcade Game in 1882 at the third annual Arky Awards. It was runner-up behind Pac-Man, which is a pretty good uh, company to be in. Because of its use of first-person pseudo 3D graphics combined with a viewing goggle that the player puts his face, uh, his or her face into, Battlezone is sometimes considered the first virtual reality arcade game. Pandemic Studios developed an authorized Battlezone game published by Activision, we love Activision, in 1998. Despite having the same name, it is not an arcade game, but a more complicated tank piloting strategy game. Battlezone 2 Combat Commanders, the 1999 sequel. A reimagining of Battlezone was developed and released for PlayStation Portable. In 2008, an updated version of Battlezone was released on Xbox Live Arcade, developed by Stainless Games and published by Atari Inc. It features uh, 1080i graphics, Dolby 5.1 audio, and an online mode to play against two to four friends. In 2013, Rebellion Developments bought the Battlezone franchise from the Atari bankruptcy proceedings. There have been various clones as well. Alright, well, you know what? In this game, we're leaping into the future. So I thought I would get out my crystal ball, look you know, into the mists of time, and see if I can divine, if the spirits can guide me to tell me what is going to happen in the future. It's chilling, I know, and it can be frightening to hear the future. But we must be brave, and we must look, look deep ahead to the space year, 1999. I predict that in 1999, the World Series champion will be New York Yankees. Super Bowl champions will be Denver Broncos. San Antonio Spurs will win the NBA championship, the most popular sex symbols of the era will be Jillian Anderson, Pamela Anderson, Jennifer Aniston, Drew Barrymore, Denise Richards, Rebecca Romaine, Jerry Ryan. Weirdly, all men will have been eliminated by 1999, and none of them will be sex symbols, apparently. <clears throat> Moving on. Big quotes that will come out of the space year 1999 far in the future will be, I see dead people, from the sixth sense. Is that your final answer? From Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1999 will be me. Just kidding. It will be Jeff Bezos from Amazon, of course. Miss America will be Nicole Johnson. Miss USA will be Kimberly Pressler. Joan Murray will survive a 14,500-foot fall after her parachute doesn't deploy while skydiving. She'll land on a mound of fire ants and be stung several hundred times, which gives her an adrenaline rush to keep her heart beating. Male supermodel. Okay, there was one male supermodel left. Fabio. I mean, not was left, will be left in the far-off future year of 1999 because all the stuff, of course, I'm saying hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in the future. But Fabio 
will be asked to be on the first run of Apollo's chariot at Bush Gardens and get hit in the face by a goose. A Florida man in Sunrise, Florida, will auction off his kidney on eBay. The post will read, You can choose either kidney. Buyer pays all transplant and medical costs. Of course, only one for sale, as I need the other one to live. Series bids only. The bids will reach $5.7 million before eBay finally, you know, ends the auction. In 1999, people will be peeing themselves over the prospect of the world coming to an end with Y2K in 2000. Y2K will turn out to be a bust. Eminem's mom will sue her son for $10 million for slander on the album The Slim Shady LP, but she'll only get about $1,600. In the 1999 movie The Matrix, Neo's passport will expire on September 11, 2001. Interesting. Matthew McConaughey will be arrested after police allegedly find him dancing naked and playing bongo drums in his house. He'll pay a $50 fine for disturbing his neighbors. EA will have to recall 100,000 copies of Tiger Woods PGA Tour 99, as an EA employee will hide an uncensored copy of South Park's Jesus vs. Santa episode on the PlayStation disc. John F. Kennedy Jr. passes away, and Dana Plato uh, will also pass away at age 34, uh, she being one of the famous cast members of classic 70s sitcom Different Strokes. They Might Be Giants becomes the first major label recording artist to release an entire album, Long Tall Weekend, exclusively in MP3 format. The Pokemon Kadabra hasn't appeared in the anime or card game following a lawsuit but filed by psychic Yuri Geller in 1999, claiming Nintendo turned me into an evil occult Pokemon character. Billy Mitchell will play Pac-Man for six hours non-stop to reach the 256th screen and achieve a score of 3,333,360. A perfect score for Pac-Man. The bid movie for the year will be Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. The most popular TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? The Backstreet Boys, Brad Paisley, Brandy, Brian McKnight, Britney Spears are the big acts for the year. But really, you know, after that Pac-Man thing, what else do you need to know about 1999? After the break, if you think it's a battle not to zone out at work, well, Battle Zone is totally different, actually. So get back to work, but don't turn off the podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you? Thanks for nothing. Ah, puns. I love puns. Love blowing stuff up, too. So here we go. Come here, enemy. I like the look of Battle Zone, especially for 1980. Um, the tank movement is good, I for, for what it is, I guess. But here's the thing: by the time you can see the enemy on the main screen, you're in the line of fire, and your tank doesn't move very fast because it's a tank, and you, it is really hard to get to both fire on the thing that you're shooting at and get out of the way so that it doesn't blow you up. One tank left. But I like sort of the the twilight or maybe dawn thing we got going. The uh, orange and red sun streaks uh, over the horizon. Alright. 
well, you probably got the flavor of it. So, back to you in the studio. Here's the thing about Battlezone. I like the look of this game. I like how it feels. I like the movement, especially for 1999. I don't like that the tank moves so damn slow. It is really hard. By the time you can see on the main screen what you're shooting at, even if you're not waiting around to see if the shot lands, just to shoot at the thing, most of the time you've already been fired upon and blown up. It is really hard to get out of the way. Even when you're trying to get out of the way and still be able to see what you're shooting at, um, you move so slow that you can't get out of the way. The enemy is on top of you before you can do anything. So that's my big quibble with Battlezone. But otherwise, I like the game. I will probably play it more. Because I'm guessing that I'm just griping due to the fact that I haven't played the game very much. And probably I will get better at that. Battlezone's a war game, of course. And honestly, when I put it in the first time and just saw that that sort of wide landscape, you know, like I said in the field reports, I don't know if it's supposed to be dawn or maybe early evening or something. You got the pink and and gold and, and orange uh, over the over the mountains there and and your tank is just sort of out there alone on the field of battle and just kind of looks kind of lonely and desolate and, and and sort of somber in a way even for an Atari game for kids so here's here's the story I came up with for kind of maybe what's going on in that tank the unceasing cacophony of war is always with me sometimes it's a low rumble that hurts my ears other times it feels like rage exploding from within but it's always there always part of me. I fear it will become all of me. In the old days, the good old 1980s, they said that machines would change how we lived. Instead, the machines changed how we died. Now they, whoever they are, the faceless purveyors of war, don't say anything. The machines do all the talking, and the killing. I'm not sure what life is anymore. When 1999 managed to slip through the barricades, we rejoiced as if it was the New Year baby promising an end to this miserable century and the absurd hope that the next one might be better. But so inspired was I that one day I borrowed a tank. I say borrowed, but stole is a better word, and bond with is better still. It was loud inside there. The rumble of its engines made my chest hurt and jostled my brain. The tank smelled of sweat and grease and nothing I saw in there made any sense. But I fumbled around a bit and made it work. At first the people, what people were left, cheered for me. I had turned the tank, made it a weapon, for them. They cheered, I cheered. They laughed, I laughed. They cried, I cried. But we were separate now, my people and I. When I climbed into the tank... A steel door slammed shut on my membership in the Band of Humanity. I was now something more and also something less. The world erupted around me, seemingly every time I spoke. At first the people walked beside me. Now they scatter and hide. I roll down the road. I call to them, but they don't answer. They hear me, for I am loud. But my words frighten and confuse. I need to get out of this tank. I need to be one with humans again. But the tank is sealed so tight. It's more than a metal tomb. It's a mechanical skin. It is not me in the tank. The tank is in me. I am the tank. I open my mouth to scream, but only death blazes forth. The terror this unleashes on my former people is unbearable. So I roll to a stop. I will do no more. Let the grass grow round my treads. Perhaps all I can hope for is to not kill that, at least.
I remain here still, a monument to the inglorious art of war. Forevermore. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at IntomProtect.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Find show notes at ataribytes.lipson.com. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. You can find Atari Bytes uh, pretty much everywhere. Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, wherever you like. Do also remember, please, to steer your tank into the iTunes zone and leave a show review. That helps make it less of a battle for other people to find the show. Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at our Zazzle.com store, AB underscore pod underscore store. Link for all of this Patreon and Zazzle stuff in the show notes. Next time on Atari Bytes, Crystal Castles. And I'm putting you on notice right now. Both Crystal and Castles better be prevalent in that game. It better not be like when they name a community or a park or something, Pine Hill or whatever, and there are neither pines nor hills to be seen anywhere. Got my eye on you, Crystal Castles. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, oh, oh.